If you look in my files, this has actually got a title of Dreams 3, because remember, we broke it under three sections. Um, what we've done so far is we've thought about the process of how we actually make, if you like, make our dreams work for us. We all have hopes, we all have aspirations. And one of the things we did was quite early on, in the first session that Keith took, we actually defined what we were actually talking about. And that's apparently what I said, well, that's what I did say. And what Keith nailed very, very clearly was that my, when I brought the original prophetic word that started all this off, what I had in my heart was not some vague thing that you might get from eating cheese last thing at night or whatever. It's not the sort of thing that might wake you up in the middle of the night, but it's this. It is our need to have a picture of our future in terms of our hopes and our aspirations. We're not talking about some vague concept that is around here for us to have a very clear hope and aspiration as to where we're going. Right, okay. Um, right, so why is this important then? Well, it's important that we have a vision, we have a clear idea where we're actually going. One of the things that strikes me every Thursday evening is this. On Thursday evening, I'm involved in feed, feeding the group of homeless people and people who are not necessarily homeless, but who no, are definitely down on the rockers. One of the things that strikes me time and time again about these, these characters, predominantly men, but some women, is they've got no hopes. They've got no aspiration. They've no idea where they're going. And on the whole, they're, they're this feeling of, I don't know where I'm going, I'm just, you know, there's no, there's no future, there's no hope, uh, gets covered up with, a, with an awful, awful lot of booze, an awful lot of alcohol, an awful lot of drugs. Uh, and that's the picture on Thursday night. And it's important, though, if we're going to be real as people, that we actually have a clear vision, a clear idea as to where we're going. And that's true for you individually, and it's true for us together. That verse in Proverbs, um, this is one of these occasions where you can pick the text to actually suit what you're trying to say. Um, because if you look at different versions, um, sometimes it says where there's no vision, which is the version I've used there. Other versions says where there's no revelation. Some say where there's no God-given God, God God revealed way. There's all sorts of versions. But I've gone for that, from the authorised version. And it says this, where there's no vision the people perish, but he that keeps law happy is he. It's basically reiterating the need we have to have a clear vision, a clear concept, a clear picture as to what we're trying, where we're trying to go. Is this making sense? Now, is anybody wondering why I've got a picture of a rocket up there? Good guess. I'll tell you. Um, some years ago, um, the, Americans, the American Senate was going through one of these processes it does from time to time where they, they try and cut costs, and they try and cut costs on the American Space Project, which, of course, is a phenomenal amount of money gets spent on it. And this group of senators was visiting Cape Canaveral, and they were looking for savings. And they saw this chap in the corner washing the floor. And one of the American senators went up to him and said, um, what do you do then? He said, I send rockets to the moon. He was the cleaner. Did you understand what had happened? Yeah, he was the cleaner. That was his job. He cleaned Cape Canaveral. He probably didn't clean the areas where the rockets were going to go off. He probably cleaned the offices, I'm guessing. But that was his job. But as far as he was concerned, he was contributing 
to what NASA and the American Space Project was all about. Let me give you a challenge if we don't go any further than this this morning. If I went round here and said, have you got a clear vision for yourself in where you're going to be in three years, five years, ten years? Ten years for some of us might get a bit risky, but never mind. <laughs> uh, three years, five years, ten years. Uh, but, and also, perhaps more importantly, have you got a clear vision picture for where you want this church to be in three years, five years, ten years? Because if you go, no one else today, what I'd say is, please start asking God what that should be. Because if you're going to function properly, if you're going to function properly as a church, if you're going to function properly as an, as an individual, you need a very, very clear vision as to where you're actually going, where you're, where you're seeking to end up. Why? It says it up there. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, people flounder around. So if you want an extreme case, you come down to the United Reformed Church some night and talk to some of the guys there. It can be quite depressing. They see no hope. So they go out and get themselves pickled out of their mind. And in a sense, I can't blame them, the way they're, the way they're viewing things. Okay, let's have a look at where we're going on this. I think that Jesus had a dream, had a picture, had a clear view of where he was going. And I think he summed it up in this. If you're the same age as me or similar, you'll have gone through school um, reciting that every day in the King James Version. Remember it well, chap, folks? You know, every day, and in fact, we got to the point where we knew it, we knew it really well, but we knew it so well we could make jokes about it. I mean, how many, how many people can remember, you know, why, why is God worried about us going into Thames Station? Remember it? No, the leader's not into Thames Station. No, no. Uh, there's a few others which we won't go into now. Um, but we knew it, it was, and we got quite flippant about it. But, you know, it was said in, it was said in schools. Um, please don't think it isn't said in schools now, by the way. I've, I've been in a number of schools in the last year where it's actually said as Barton Assembly. Uh, so please don't believe what you read in the papers, it's been squeezed out. No, it hasn't. Not used as much. Not used as much, but it's there. But that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus wrote, said rather. And it's probably got tied up a little bit as the Gospels have been put together, but that's the essence of what he actually said. And he's actually, one of the things he's setting out there is where he sees things actually going. I'm going to pick on four bit, five bits of it, sorry. And it's this. Our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honoured, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth, and finally, as it is in heaven. Now, the five bits we're going to look at briefly this morning. The five bits that talk about Jesus' vision and how, how I believe our vision should be for ourselves as individuals, for the church, and also for that great big world out there beyond the doors. It's a pretty all-encompassing picture. So let's have a look at the first one. Oh, by the way, have you wondered why I put a picture of a road? Anybody like to hazard a guess? Sorry? Got it in one. We've got it in one. We're on a journey. And our vision is part of that, is, is that journey. It is actually seeking to actually end up see, uh, seeking to actually achieve somewhere. 
So when we're talking about vision, we're talking about our, making our dreams real, we're talking about actually going along a road, we're actually seeking to get somewhere, we're actually seeking to achieve something. We're not seeking to sort of thrash around, we're not seeking to be purposeless, we're actually seeking to achieve something and to actually end up somewhere. Keep that in mind, because that helps you understand the whole of what we're talking about this morning. Okay, let's have a look at that first, first phrase. Our Father in Heaven. I don't think in our Western culture we realise how radical what Jesus said was. Our Father in Heaven. I'm very surprised there wasn't a reaction from the crowd. He talks about our Father in Heaven. Oh, hello. It's like our Father in Heaven, and I'm surprised that there wasn't a reaction from the Jews in the crowd. The Jews certainly have got no concept of fatherhood of God. Muslims certainly haven't got any concept of fatherhood of God. Most world faiths haven't. I can only think of one world faith that's got some hint of some idea of the fatherhood of God. It's absolutely unique. It's absolutely unique. But I'd, I wonder sometimes, we've got the wrong idea of the fatherhood of God. I think sometimes we think of God as the chap on the left. You know, it's actually the Greek god Zeus, who sat in heaven and threw out, threw out thunderbolts, was thoroughly unpleasant, who generally was there to make life awkward for you, and, you know, was not a nice person to know. Some of us can think of God like that. Sorry, that's not the God of the New, God of the New Testament. The other vision of God we can have is this. Um, this might have been Brian when he was working, you know, as the engineer. Um, it's a wonderful phrase that somebody used. I can't remember, I think it was C.S. Lewis who talked about the celestial clockmaker. And it was this. It was this idea that some people have an idea of God as a celestial clockmaker, as someone who sits in heaven, who actually designs a thing, sets it up, sets it going, then says, right, off you go. And then steps back and has no further involvement. Again, it's not the God of the New Testament. The God of the New Testament is this. The Father. God the Father. Some of you may not have had a good experience of fatherhood. Some of you may have had a wonderful experience of fatherhood. I don't know. But just stop and think for a minute about the best, very, very best father you can think of. That's what God is to us. In the sense he guides us, he looks after us, but more importantly, and I've heard Pete say this more times than I can think over the last, last years, someone with whom we actually have a relationship. Someone with whom we actually have a relationship. God our Father. Not the God who sits in heaven throwing out the thunderbolts and being thoroughly horrible. Not the God who set things in motion and stepped back. But the God in whom we have a relationship on a day-to-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute basis. That's the God we're talking about. And that is part of our vision. That is part of our dream for the future. That that's what we want to move ahead on in developing that relationship. Um... How many people here? How many people? How many people here have known me for? Tim, how long have you known me? Thirty years. If you go back to if you go back to twenty nine and a half years, how well did you know me then? How about um, twenty years? Yeah. You might not want to answer the next bit. How about now? 
<laughs> to see the point I'm making though the relationship has developed and that's what it should be with our God our relationship is, is, is one that develops between us as children and father and that's absolutely fundamental what we're going to talk talking about this morning okay may your holy name be honoured um, people sometimes get a little bit uptight cross when they hear God's name being used irreverently and quite rightly so um, that phrase that's trapped into emails and texts of you know, oh, oh me gee, oh my god um, crops up a lot, it annoys me um, by the way how can you, can I, do you know the way to deal with this? there's a colleague of mine who used to slip it in odd, odd places so I, I started sending Mark emails back which had um, um, pre-TL at different points, and after and after 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 a while, he, he sent me. I said, "What's PTL all about?" I said, "Oh, praise the Lord! Oh, I only had to do it twice. He hasn't sent me another email OMG on." <laughs> so you know, be, be, you know, what I'm saying, play for their own game. You know, but you know, be, be prepared to use that. It does. It, trust me, it does work. I'm sorry. It's much much further than that. It's much, much more than just, just worry, worrying about, worrying about quite rightly, God's name be treated in reverence. Let me show you two quotations. Uh, there's no prize, but could you like to tell me who said them and when they were said? Any offers? So, sorry? Winston Churchill, the first one. Like to, like to, like to guess the date? Date? Yeah, roughly? You're not that far off. You're not that far off. Okay, I'll, I'll settle for that for now. But okay, but that's near enough for this. Um, it was actually it was actually worse than 39. Which might give you a clue. Do I, do I improve your guess a bit? 1940. Yeah, 1940. Um, okay, how about the second one? Alistair Campbell wasn't actually Tony Blair. A lot of people think it was Tony Blair. What actually happened was that, that Tony Blair was, make, was making a speech that was just before the decision was finalised to, to, to go into Iraq. And he made some vague reference, it was a very vague reference to God. Alistair Campbell was in like a shot and said, um, we don't do God. It's a fascinating interview to watch, it really is. Still available on YouTube, it's really... And if you can't sleep at night, it's worth having a look at it. It really is. But, yeah. 13th of May, 1940. And what was happening then? What was happening was uh, about half the British Army was stuck on the beaches in Dunkirk, trying to get off. Um, there's no doubt about it. If they hadn't got off, we would have lost. Um, Winston Churchill said it then. Said it to the House of Commons. And Alison Campbell, on the verge of another war, started off by saying, we don't do God. And nobody in the cabinet, nobody in the senior position was disagreeing. But what I'm saying is this. In that period, it's changed that Winston Churchill, who was by no means a man of faith, and as some of you have heard me say this before now, he's not my favourite person. I have a very low opinion of Churchill. But, he, he was able to stand up at the House of Commons and say, key phrase, with all the strength that God can give us. With all the strength that God can give us. That was said to the House of Commons. Alistair Campbell, we don't do God. Do you see the difference? That God had become marginalised. God had been pushed out of public life. 
And I would suggest that honouring that honoring God, honouring the name of God, has a lot to do with actually seeing God brought back into public life. And certainly seeing faith brought back into public life. Let me tell you one of the most active people on this at the moment was actually arguing very, very strongly for people of faith to be involved in public life. Baroness Varsi. Anybody would like to tell me what her faith is? She's a Muslim. She is actually doing a better job than most Christians at arguing for faith, people of faith, to be involved in public life. I find that shameful. She's someone I rate very highly, but she is doing a very, very effective job. Um, okay, what are we going to do? How can we actually try and bring faith back into the public life of our country? Well, first of all, <coughs> hands up who knows who their MP is. Well, I'm going to get this hands up now. Hands up who knows who their local councillor is. Who's who, who knows who their local councillor is? One, two, three, we've roughly halved. Okay. You don't have to put your hands up for this. How many people regularly pray for their MP and for their, for their local councillor? Let me, let, me, let me take it a stage further. How many people here don't just pray for their MP, pray for the, pray for the local councillor, pray for the government, but also let them know that you're praying for them? I can t as a church I know in South London that does that regularly, encourages its members, and I, I almost feel sorry for Harriet Harman because, well, I almost feel sorry for Harriet Harman. <laughs> but she gets, she, she apparently gets letters regularly from this church in South London which say, Dear Ms. Harman, we're praying for you. What would you like us to be praying for this week? And does it on a regular basis. And apparently Harriet Harman, who is by no means a woman of faith, I don't know where she stands, but certainly doesn't come over, I'm in great faith. She regularly responds and says, Thanks, folks. I'd really appreciate you praying for dum 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 dum. Do you see what I mean? It's bringing faith back into public life. It's bringing 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 God back into public life. And it's much much more than worrying about people just putting oh me gee in an email. It's actually doing something to actually bring faith back into public life. Um, the other thing that um, that might be a bit of a challenge is actually becoming involved yourself. And you're thinking, hold on a minute. I don't think I can be a counsellor. No, you might not be. But can I just leave one figure with you? School governing bodies. One in eight school governing bodies in this country are not full. They have vacancies. The governing body that I'm a, I'm a member of um, has currently has two vacancies, <coughs> has done in the 12 months I've been a member. We have been unsuccessful in persuading anybody to take the job on. So what I'm saying is, if you want to see, have an opportunity to bring faith and to bring God into public life, get onto County Hall and say you're interested in becoming a school governor, and you'll be bowled over with people trying, people trying to get hold of you. Think about it. The other thing is this. Please be upfront in your faith. Please be upfront in where you stand. Um, there is a bit of a myth that we're not allowed to open our mouths about, about faith. I'm sorry. I've worked in the multicultural scene for the last eight years. Never had a problem. 
long as I'm coming, 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 speaking with integrity. Um, interesting appointment being made recently. Um, go on, let's tell or test your newspapers, newspaper knowledge. Um, Bobby Chena Grubb, wonderful name, isn't it? Bobby Chena Grubb. Anybody know who she is? Few people are thinking, hang on, I've heard that. No. Ah, well, she got involved in that case. If I tell you she got involved in that case, then, go on. She was interviewed on Newsnight recently. The other program, on Thursday nights. Question time, to be in on question time. Right, she, her distinction is this, and what she got into the new, newspapers for is she is the first Asian High Court judge appointed in this country. The interesting thing is, she's a Christian. She put out a press statement, as these people have to do from their chambers, and the press, the press statement did not, was not written by Alistair Campbell. It actually said this in it. Listen to this. I want to do this job in a way that brings honour to God. Newly appointed High Court judge, absolutely upfront about her faith. And interestingly enough, I don't know if you how close you follow it, she was actually the prosecuting counsel for that bishop who got arrested and charged and prosecuted recently for child abuse. She was a prosecuting counsel, quite a prominent figure. But you see what's happening. She's absolutely upfront about her faith. One of the things that um, shocked me actually was uh, I'm not a great I'm not a great follower of I'm not a great follower of um, uh, Premier. But I had a look on their website when this had happened, and there was a there was a there was an article, there was a response there to someone to her being appointed. And I'm, I'm actually sorry that Premier published this. Somebody actually put a, put, a, put a reply in saying how shameful it was that this woman had appointed her, been, been offered this, this job, and taken it, and doesn't she realise that our politics are in heaven? I thought, what absolute rot. What absolute rot. I'm sorry. She is bringing the presence and her experience of God into public life. Have we given you enough to think about? Let me move on. Let's move on to the next bit. Go on, what's the next bit? Sorry? May your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. I can remember being told, growing up in the Brethren, oh, that means that you know, we've got to pray for the second coming. Yes, we have. I'm sorry, I don't think that's talking about the second coming. I really don't. I think it's talking about the here and now. Because it's linked with the rest of the passage in Matthew when it talks about we're salt to the whole human race. We are light to the whole world. Tony, could you stand up for a minute? I'd like to show you a light of the world. I'd like to show you the salt of the world. I'm sorry. If Tony says, I'm going to try and be salt to the world, sorry, mate, you misunderstood it. You are salt for the world. You are the light of the world. Whether you're effective in that is another matter. We are salt for the world. Get the point I'm making? Thanks, mate. And... 
our job is to make society a better place. That where we go, when we've gone away, people shouldn't be saying, well, thank goodness he's gone. They should be saying, well, you know what, while he was here, yeah, things were better. Things were genuinely better. Um, <clears throat> I heard that recently about a Christian head teacher I worked with um, who retired, person who got appointed after that, um, very capable person, and yet the staff are now saying, yeah, the school runs really well, we haven't lost anything, we're still doing really well as a school, but, you know, there's not the same feel about it. Does that make sense? Where we go, we should be making the world a better place. That's our function. What Tim did on, went on, what Tim did on Friday is part of that. It is seeking to make the world a better place. What we seek to do on a Thursday evening and other nights is seeking to work, make the world a better place. And it's not airy-fairy out in the sky somewhere. It's nuts and bolts stuff. Um, then we just say one thing before we move on to the next slide. One of the things you find as soon as you start to do this is you're going to find you get your hands dirty. One of my great heroes, William Wilberforce, I'm really pleased that I've never had the opportunity to meet William Wilberforce. I suppose I will one day, because I think he must have been the most boring individual going. He really was. He was so obsessed with what he was doing. Uh, and socially, it must have been awful to spend the evening with. But look what he says. My walk is a public one. My business is in the world, <coughs> and I must mix in the assemblies of men or quit the post which providence seems to have assigned to me. He said that before slavery appeared on the horizon, by the way, before his, his campaign against slavery. He said that at the start of, his, start of his time as a member of parliament. And he said it because he realised that in becoming a member of parliament, he was going into a very alcohol-fueled, very rowdy environment. Have things changed? Oh, of course they have, yeah. Um, <laughs> and that was what he was going into, where a lot of deals were done, you know, a lot of deals were done in fairly, fairly boozy environments, and he said, sorry, that's the word I'm going into. He got his hands dirty, and he said, my walk's a public one, yeah, he was quite clear what he had to do, my business is in the world, and I must mix in the assemblies of men, or quit the post, which providence has assigned to me. In other words, to make a positive impact on the society he was in, he was going to get his hands dirty. He was going to get his hands dirty. And that's how he did. And I'm more about him in a minute, because I say he is, although I, though I dread meeting him, he's still, he's still a hero, still a hero of mine. Next bit. May your will be done. May your will be done. What do I think the will of God is? Well, if you look in that passage in Habakkuk, it's very interesting, because he's, he's obviously talking about something that's going to happen in his generation, and occasionally you get things which are actually sloops, leaping forward many, you know, probably a thousand years or more. And he says this, one of, these, one of his leaps forward, he says, but the earth will be as full as the knowledge of God's Lord's glory as the seas are full of water. What do I believe that's talking about? I believe it's talking about this, that we are going to see the world full of Christians. Because the glory of God is shown in you and me. We're going to see the earth full, full of Christians. 
And you think, oh, hold on a minute, come on, Dave, be real, be re- be realistic, um, be, you know, be 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 realistic for a minute, will you? Because I mean, look what's happening in the Middle East at the moment. You know, the church is actually being pushed in, pushed into a corner at the very least. I'm sorry, that's still the promise. <coughs> let me some, let me show you some something else. I can remember. I was still a student in 1970, just. I can remember China being written off in Christian terms and said they'd just come through the persecution under the Cultural Revolution. The church was more or less extinct. Well, by 1970, which was the end of the Cultural Revolution, (coughs) three million Christians. And this isn't coming from some crackpot organization, by the way. This is coming from the World Council of Churches. And the World Council of Churches, do you come across it, they're, they're not known for making uh, wild, wild, wild statements. They're very, very cautious in anything they say. Look at the figures it gives. In 1970, three million Christians in China. By 2010, 130 million. And 2030, and some people think the World Council of Churches is very, very, is underestimating here. They're projecting the figures. They're saying if the present rate of growth continues, what will we see in China? We will see 247 billion Christians in China by 2030, which will make it the most Christian country in the world. It will far surpass any other country in terms of its Christian population by 2030. And you think, how's it happened? How's it happened? By the way, don't take those figures as gold. If I'm still here in 2030, please don't come back to me and say I was five million, five million out. <laughs> it's a projected figure. <laughs> in fact, all those figures are broad estimates, but you get the idea. How's it happened? Well, to my knowledge, um, Billy Graham's not held any, any great campaign in China. It has done around the fringes. Got away with Hong Kong not long before the not long before independence, uh, not before it was taken back into China. Rather, it's come about from individual Christians. It's come about one to one. There's very little evidence of the church, the growth of the church in China, coming from big meetings. It's come about from one to one. And one of the things, and there's a book, there's a book on my shelves at home, written about written about 1980 by Arthur Wallace. And he'd gone into China then when people realized that things were starting to develop in very interesting ways in China with the church. And one of the things that, one of the things that the Chinese, the, one of the Chinese Christians said to him, and this is in the early 80s, was, um, right, Mr. Wallace, how many people have you led to the Lord this week? You hear that? How many Christians, how many people have you led to the Lord this week? And they regarded that as quite normal. Now, I'm not saying that to twist your arm at your back. What I'm saying is, you know, please view it as I have as a challenge, that the growth in China, the growth in China has not come about by great meetings. It's come about by individual Christians doing their job. (coughs) Do I believe that we're going to see the Middle East full of Christians? Whatever's happening there, yes, I do. Do I believe that we're going to see the world full of individual Christians? Yes, I do. Why do I do it? Because of what we saw there. Because of what old Habakkuk saw.
Let's move on to the next phrase. On earth as it is in heaven. I'm sorry. I'm back to my friend again. Wilberforce. People think he was just involved in slavery. Yeah. This is from a website I use from time to time, History Today. Again, it's a fairly conservative with a small C website. And it says this. It gave away one quarter of his annual income to the poor. He fought on behalf of chimney sweeps, single mothers, Sunday schools, orphans, juvenile delinquents. He helped found parachurch groups like the Society for Bettering the Cause of the Poor, still in existence by the way, for a different name. The Church Missionary Society, still, still going, because Bill and Lindsay were involved in it when they were in Argentina. The British and Foreign Bible Society, still going strong. And the Anti-Slavery Society, and one of the shames of our time is, still, still going and still very active. But he moved into a different form of slavery. That's what the man did. Because as far as he was concerned, it was his job to actually make the world a better place and for the world to be as it is in heaven. And it was not to sit on his hands, it was not to pull the drawbridge up and retreat into, it, retreat into his Christian, Christian huddle, it was to actually get into society and do something effective. That was his dream, that's what he, that's what he worked for. I'm nearly finished. I've attempted to... Anybody wonder why I put an elephant up? Somebody did. It's this. Because you can look at that and you think, hang on a minute, Father. You're saying, you know, we're, we're to seek to propel the church forward in growth. Like that? Yes, I am. How do we do it? We do it in the same way as you eat an elephant. And you eat an elephant by a bit at a time. It is not asking you, by the way, to go, go and preach on the South End Seafront tomorrow afternoon. If you want to do it, bless you, go ahead and do it. But it is asking you to take seriously the one-to-one -one evangelism. Because that's what's done it in China. That's what's done it in China over the last 30 or 40 years. And it's been absolutely consistent. Well, why the backpack? Because what I've done is this. I've taken those five phrases of Jesus and I've tried to unpack them. I've tried to unpack them to say, what do I think they're all about? What does it mean? What I would ask you to do is this. I'd ask you to go away, think about them, and unpack them for yourself. And just think, our Father in heaven, yeah, okay God, what's my relationship with you? Is it really that of fatherhood? May your holy name be honoured. What am I actually doing to bring God into where I'm working? Into our society? Into the government? And I've suggested some ways that can be done. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we talked about all those things. What I'm asking to do is this. I'm leaving things deliberately up in the air. I'm asking to go away, think about it, pray about it, and in closing, can I share with you the parable of the lawnmower? You won't find it in the Gospels, but it's a very important parable. Sometimes we look at these things I've talked about this morning, and we think, Lord, 
how on earth do I get started in making a difference? How on earth do I get started in one-to-one evangelism? How on earth do I get started in actually influencing the government and bringing God into that? Well, it's a bit like a lawnmower I bought some years ago. Uh, those of you who've been to my house will know I've got a very, very big lawn and needs a, a big petrol mower to mow it properly. And I went and bought this fairly expensive petrol mower and I started the thing off, running nicely, you know, holding on, the, holding on the dead man's handle as they call it, and then I put it into gear to move forwards. Not a sausage happened. Oh, that's ridiculous. I've paid all this money because you've got uphill and down there. I can't get away without a, a mower that moves on its own. So I did that. And I, I played with it for all, I played with it for a whole day. And in, in the end, the next, next day, next day I took it back to Alton's on the 127. And I'm a bit cross about this. I paid all this money for this lawnmower. Put this lawnmower down in front of them and said, look, excuse me, look, this lawnmower, it, this law, this, this lawnmower, it, um, well, you know, you've sold me all this, this lawnmower. Look, and I started it up, and I was holding the dead man's hand, and I said, Well, I'll put it in gear. Things are sitting there. And he said, Take one step forward. And suddenly I was getting dragged across the car park at Alton's. Because <laughs> that's, how, that's how the gearing works on that particular lawnmower. Well, I bought a new one recently. It doesn't work like that, so I'm getting very confused. But you see the point I'm making? If all those things are going to become reality to you and me, we do not start off in the grand scheme. We start off like that lawnmower, put it in gear, one step forward, and God takes God does the rest for you. Okay? I'm finished.